Hi, this is Ant, author of TrailerAnts.com, and you're listening to the most inconsistent, irregular, and incomplete podcast available online. Actually, <laughs> it's officially the bottom of the pile, because I just checked the latest subscriber stats, and I have officially just one subscriber. Great! I picture like a bearded man in the outback North Dakota, sitting with his pet rabbit or something. Then ten minutes later, I discovered who it was. It was me. I'd subscribed to the... Uh, to the feed just to check that it was working so um, without further ado I'm going to get a move on and do this little podcast to myself because I value my listener so anyway before I get on with a little narration that's kind of the format that I've been adopting when I've been doing these I'm going to just tell you a little bit about what I've been up to here in uh, New Zealand's affable capital city Wellington and I've been here since August of last year. Now I'm just going to clear up. If you haven't noticed already, I am English. I'm from the Queen's country. And I'm just living in New Zealand. A lot of people seem to believe that I um, live here permanently. Or I am a Kiwi or I'm an Aussie indeed. Because I've been down in the Southern Lands for so long. But I'm actually English and I'm, it's just part of a really long trip that I'm taking. And if you've been on TradeAvents.com, you'll have probably realised that I've been to a fair few countries over the last few years. Although, I've just had some news a couple of weeks ago that I will be heading back to the Isles of Britain um, for March 2011, just for a few weeks, um, for my sister's wedding. Hurrah! So that should be all good fun, a lot of people to catch up with, because well, that'll be four years, I reckon, since I left the uh, hallowed Isles of England. So, yeah, mixed emotions will take me back there, and it will also um, spark a really adventurous path on the way backwards, because... Reb, my affable girlfriend, and I will be um, sorting out the route that we're going to be taking over the next month or so, trying to book some flights. So if you are following me on Twitter, and that's at Trinavance, then you'll notice that sometimes I'm tweeting about uh, where's the cheap flights to and from New Zealand, where's good to go, what's not, you know, these sort of things. So if you do follow me on that and you see me tweeting about that, it's probably related to the journey back to England and beyond. So love to hear from you on that. Over in New Zealand, what have I been up to? I can't even remember the last time I put out a podcast, but for Easter weekend, I climbed Mount Narahoe, which many of you will know as Mount Doom from Lord of the Rings. Now, that's part of the Tongariro Alpine Crossing, which is, well, purportedly one of New Zealand's best one-day walks, and it was absolutely fantastic. took you through a really varied uh, range of landscapes, from the really rugged kind of moon landscapes, then down through some nice emerald forests, and um, the highlight of it, Mount Narahoe, uh, one of three volcanoes in the area. You get to summit that, it's actually a volcano as well. So that was an incredibly hard climb. Now, I've been reading some reports about other travel bloggers that have done this journey. I'm not sure if they've been up to the top of Narahoe or not, um, but it takes a lot longer than the recommended uh, time. And I'm a pretty fit person, I've got to say. And we, uh, it was Easter. Saturday, so there were a fair few people on there, but um, it took us about four hours to get up, up there and back, and it was an incredibly steep and pretty dangerous climb, I've got to say as well, because there's a lot of boulders hurling themselves down, so people are always saying, rot, rot, get out of the way, and he's kind of diving around, but um, we went up there with some friends, Andrew and Rachel, who we met in Chengdu in China um, a couple of years ago, and they're, they're actually Kiwis, they live here in Wellington, so we've been Spending a fair bit of time with them while we've been over here. So that was great. We uh, booked out a batch, which is a New Zealand or like a holiday home. Um, you just rent them out. Uh, a little bit like the French Gites. 
And yeah, we had a really amazing time. Other than that, oh, I've quit looking for jobs here in Wellington. Had been originally looking to go for residency or something like that, but to be honest, the job market over in New Zealand is incredibly tough. And although they are a nation of travellers, so that big gap on your CV shouldn't really matter. I'm finding it's pretty tough to get back in, even though I'm experienced in certain fields, um, which I didn't really want to go back into. I wanted to concentrate more on the writing. So what I've done, I've took a step back and say, look, I'm pretty good. Oh, microphone's trying to attack me. Get away, microphone. Um, so I've, got, I've gone freelance, basically. I had enough people um, asking me to do little bits and bobs that I can sustain myself on a pretty low wage, I've got to admit, but I'm still a traveller at heart, so budget's all my, um, it's what I'm good at. So for now, I'm working freelance, keeping me busy through the week and uh, giving me some beer money for the evenings as well. Um, I'm also building some of my own websites, which I'll let you know a little bit more about once I've uh, got to the final stages of them, but I'm learning a lot about web techniques, um, so keep an eye out for them. And I've also been listening to an incredible amount of other podcasts, mostly travel related, um, some tech and mostly culture as well. I'm really a podcast addict, I've got to say. Um, so I'm going to um, take any recommendations you've got for podcasts, guys, because I love it. really love it. Um, what else has been going on in Wellington? Well, we have the New Zealand's Arts International Festival here, which was pretty good. A little bit expensive, but um, again... Uh, being the budgeteer that I am, queued up pretty early to score some tickets. Um, Sounds of Silence was one of the shows we went to see, which was a bit of a Simon and Garfunkel 60s mashup. Uh, really cool sets. And then we went to see Dancing on the Grave, which um, got a feeling they're from London, actually. So that was like a cabaret-style, dark, black humour. Um, not my favourite one, but I liked it all the same. Also incorporated into the New Zealand International Arts Festival was the Readers and Writers Festival. And one of the um, the great uh, things that they put on, they put they gathered together about six authors. They put them in cages in and around the city. Then they gathered them together at night to see what short stories they come up with. And it was quite interesting. It made me believe, you know, I've, a lot of you may know that I write fiction too. And it's something I'd love to um, get to the level of recognition where I'm called upon by the New Zealand International Arts Festival Committee for a start to say, come on, Ant, come and sit in a cage in places like Wellington Airport and some cafes in and around the towns and schools uh, they were in. But that was a really interesting concept concept, and got me thinking, um, which is pretty easy to do for me. Um, what else did I see? Ah, how can I forget? New Zealand's iconic um, sport, which many of you will know, is sheep shearing. And they had the national championships quite recently in Masterton, the Golden Shears. So I headed over there with my mum and dad, who are in Wellington right now, um, and Reb. And we took in probably the pinnacle of, of rural championships here in New Zealand. And it was incredible. I'm, I mean, I'm quite... I'm, I'm very anti-zoos and things like this. Um, and people blowing up cows in Cambodia and all that. And... Rodeo I went to see in Australia and I don't think I'll ever go to that again. So it was a little bit cruel towards the animals. And I, so I was prepared to come away with the same view of the sheep shearing. And um, feel free to blow this out of the water, but I felt the sheep were okay. Yeah, there was the odd nick from the shears. But um, from my point of view, I, it seemed a little bit tamer than I was expecting. I thought there was going to be a little bit more cruelty than there was. So I went and gave it a go. And yeah, if you're ever in the region where there's a sheep shearing championship in New Zealand going on, 
check it out. It was absolutely awesome. And I can't believe I was like cheering and I was pumped for the sheep shearers. Come on, son, come on. On the flip side of that, there was a more mellow festival quite recently over in the um, the same town. So it's just a couple of hours over the hills from uh, Wellington, the, the balloons over Wairapa Festival. It was um, hot air balloons lighting themselves up to uh, invigorating music, which was as good as I can probably make that sound, really. Um, and then I've just been drinking a lot, enjoying the company of new friends and uh, watching a few movies and pretty much doing exactly what you're doing in life. Anyway, without further ado, I love that's my favourite thing ever. I'm going to bring you a post um, from China, from the Yunnan province of China. It's actually where Reb and I met, met so you'll hear some references to Reb in this, but um, it's actually pre-relationship um, Reb. So we, although we've been together um, a few years now, this is actually in the formative weeks of our friendship, which became our relationship. Um, so it's been quite interesting for me to look back on this post, and I've entitled it B for Barna, and you'll see exactly what the reference to B is all about. So without further ado, take a moment, sit back and listen to B for Barna. My mother always insisted vegetables were good for me, so for 21 years I obediently munched my way through her gloomy carrots, sinewy runner beans and even the odd heap of pungent spinach. Then I cut the apron strings and for four years I phoned her weekly to ask her how to recreate the sloppy clumps of sentiment. My recent retreat from Chinese meats landed me in a vegetarian restaurant in Jinghong, across from Reb, my recurring itch of an accomplice. We were separated by a feast of imitation crispy duck, sweet and sour meatballs, Chinese vegetables and a vibrant 33-year-old Chinaman called Joe the Bridge. I'd met Joe a few days prior in the popular Mei Mei Cafe. He was charming, confident and outgoing, the diametric opposite to the Chinese I've met to date. He spoke English so fluently he flicked on a London accent, or so he believed, whenever he saw fit. Hello, my name is Joe. Would you like my to order you a beer? I accepted. And over dinner, Reb and I explained our jungle-based fantasy. We wanted to experience life in the wood hut villages that speckled the dense hillsides of the Sichuanbana region. There are 56 ethnic minority groups in China, and here in the southwest Yunnan province, 26 of the most colourful groups have pinned themselves defiantly to the hills with chopsticks. The only sticking point was Joe's apparent reluctance to take up the challenge. From what I could gather, his I'm a tour guide claims were merely to earn a fast buck from his smooth-talking talent. He'd given me the sales patter earlier that week. We go here, lunch here, say hi to these people, sleep here, next day here, then get bus back from here via here, he recited monotonously while I stirred my morning coffee his eyes flicking around like the greedy tongue of a frog out for prey. Back in the cafe, we stood our ground. We wanted to stay in a family's house, and we knew the colour of our yuan could forge a path through the jungle. Many mosquitoes, Joe exclaimed. He swiftly replied, we've got deet. He persevered. We stay in a guest house, it's nice, clean. We grinned. It's only one night, we'll ignore any dirt. 
The next morning, we met Joe as arranged and set out to the bus station. The previous night's sleep was broken numerous times. Tidbits of news from home had sparked my mind into overdrive and by 4am I'd re-enacted a hectic week of home life. I washed my mind clean with blobs of sticky rice and a splash of iced tea. I gained energy from Joe's enthusiasm, pinned back by an aura of disquiet. It wasn't until our arrival in the small town of Menghung that I realised just how out of depth we've put him. It's challenging. Joe likes a challenge, he announced in an unconvincing tone. He decided we should first visit the local government office. We stumbled through the main street, past mangy cats and natives who choked on their breakfast noodles at the sight of us marching foreign devils. It was a humid Saturday, and to Joe's dismay, we discovered an office occupied by a friendly-faced man who conversed with Joe about our ambition. He was pleased. Tourism was a powerful tool for local government, and we were encouraged by his helpful attitude to head to Mangang, an Aini village, ten kilometres up from Menghun, along a mountain path. Joe the Bridge, so called because he claims to be the bridge between English and Mandarin speakers, had impressed us with his ingenuity. Had I been in the same situation back home, the last place I would turn to is the pompous town hall. Within minutes of leaving the office, with water bottles eagerly filled by the government official come tourist information clerk, we struck upon our second point. Joe's neighbourly approach had secured us a ride in the trailer of a Mengang resident's tractor. The tractor was more of a glorified sit-on lawnmower and packed enough grunt to scare the mysterious local elephants back into the fading tourist brochures. Nonetheless, we bounded up the hill clutching our night bags and cameras while Joe announced our driver had agreed for us to stay at his family home. With the warm air deflecting off my sunglasses, I looked down at the peasant hell's angel as he transformed to Mei Yu, husband to Liu Chang and father to the pearl-eyed Jing Hai Yuan, 17 months old and, as we soon discovered, cherished by an entire village. The journey to Mengang was mesmerising. The rumpled stomping grounds of local farmers slipped effortlessly into playful sheaves of rice and tea crop. Bamboo shoots sprayed towards the clear blue skies above a swooping landscape, clothed in luscious green coat and crown. Sugarcane spontaneously sprouted, swaying serenely in the tractor's wake. It waved us by aboard our rice-laden chariot. A short while later, we descended along the narrow path to the village. It was larger than I'd envisaged. A concrete blotch of a building seemed to pin its more traditional wooden counterparts to the rugged, chicken-infested terrain. As we were paraded through the village, standing tall upon our rusting chariot, there was a sense of pride emanating from the driver's perch. He'd gone to market to convert his rice crop into grains, and returned with a twain of English folk and their friendly Jinghong chaperone. Hospitality is a Chinese speciality, and this was carried through to the heartwarming end. Relieved of our bags, we were given a perch on the wooden terrace overlooking the village. Our weary spirit was revived with Chinese tea and through Joe the Bridge we talked about life up here in the tropical forests of Sichuanbana. Mei Yu explained his father's occupation. He was a black bee farmer. His sole job 
was to discover the underground seven-tier hives of the fierce bees as big as his thumb. The larvae, or biabu in local Ainu dialect, are considered a delicacy and fetch upwards of 80 pounds for a honeycomb pallet in the more affluent Chinese cities. Following a lunch of Chinese cabbage, white carrot, fish head stew, the ubiquitous rice and a couple of bottles of the local spirit baiju, we wobbled up the weathered pathways to view the now infamous bees in flight. From the ground they appeared like slick Apache helicopters commanding their terraced territory. The long trapes up the hill also granted us consistently dazzling views of the lands that bound the hut village into a natural amphitheatre. Money is never expected in China for selfless acts, though small offerings are gratefully received, so we searched out the local village vendor and boxed up five bottles of baiju, two bottles of lemonade, four bottles of beer, a few packets of cigarettes and some little treats for Jing. At less than five pounds, we still felt naturally indebted, but the unwritten rule, wherever in the world, is to avoid ruining the harmony of a community by stockpiling them with outlandish offerings, which they couldn't ordinarily achieve. Throughout the day, word of our arrival spread, and the sizeable wooden hut, maybe twice as big as my single-storey residence in England, filled with friendly-faced neighbours. Exactly who was a relative and who was a friend became irrelevant. We sat in the living room come foreigner's bedroom, while Pearl Harbour, that epic of Japanese suffering, jabbered quietly on the television set, overpowered by the comedy involved in our conversation. A short time later, the glass-topped coffee table played stage to a palette of the pale slates. Black, bee, larvae. Within minutes, I was offered a free sampling, which I politely declined, as much out of ignorance as the, of the ritual as my distaste. The locals, seemingly not as squeamish, tucked in. They popped the small, pill-like grubs into their mouths, smiling as they chewed before picking bee excrement from their teeth, just like that. The red-blooded male within me was stirring. I plunged my hesitant fingers into one of the delicate brown paper-like segments and withdrew my wriggling prey. My only demand was that the bumble poo was removed beforehand. Nevertheless, I lowered the blob into my mouth and chewed and grimaced and chomped and smirked and finally swallowed. My realisation of the moment was, was shrouded behind applause. I gasped. I'd just eaten black bee larvae. An hour passed before we were ushered through to dine. A feast of fish head stew and white carrot was joined by bamboo root, pale potato-like chunks, which May Yu had dug while on our earlier jaunt. The table was also host to the alcohol we'd gifted earlier. My drinking bowl, or jibahoma in the local Aini dialect, rarely suffered drought. Our chopsticks, or chida, gathered mouthfuls of generosity from the bowls, or homa, of food Liu Chung had prepared. With our bellies full and memories filled to the brink, the baiju was opened and friendship cemented with cries of Jibador as Aini or Gambay in Mandarin and cheers. 
as if using the raucous atmosphere to disguise the appearance, the biabu, or the bee larvae, reappeared. They'd been steamed, as if that justified it. The stages of the larvae's development soon became apparent as I stared at the board of white specks. The inner sanctum coated the shit-lined infants. A swift pinch would reveal their intestinal cord, which was easily removed. Its siblings' neighbours appeared more like white chocolate bee brides wearing a thin scale over their head like virginal wedding veils. The further towards the outer suburbs of this pallet of honeycomb, the more bee-like their appearance became. Eyes formed, legs appeared, their bodies segmented. In the very outer rings were the gangs of juveniles, perfectly formed and armed in their beastly black bodice. Much smaller than their Apache parents, but nonetheless terrifying in demeanour. Whether it was the Baiju or the incredible spirit of the moment, I found myself munching my way through the stricken community as if there were a bowl of peanuts in a pub. Only once, however, did I brave the outer reaches and crunch the bitter black jacket, wings and all. That time the round of applause was more sincere. I had earned my place within the Aini, if only for a fleeting moment. Reb, fuelled by peer pressure, eventually followed suit perhaps intrigued by my incessant pickings, but equally and deservedly applauded. With midnight drifting off into the night sky, the assembly of new friends gradually dispersed. Somewhat worryingly, some relied on motorbikes to ride them home to neighbouring villages. Myself, Joe and Reb lay to rest on a thin mattress on the floor. Wiping the sleep from my eyes in the morning, I pictured the seven empty baiju bottles thinking around with the empty beers. Through that innocent bliss, was shattered by my recollection of popping bee larvae habitually into my mouth. We breakfasted on wheat noodles and Chinese onion and a welcome mug of lobo dol of tea, before using Joe the Bridge to communicate our endless thanks. We returned to Meng Hun, once again by tractor, to find the Sunday market in full bloom. Stalls selling intestine, pig's penis and buffalo stomach as well as more usual offerings of white carrot, Chinese cabbage and the like. I didn't see any biabu. Everywhere I looked, I was reminded of everything my mother's cooking never was. The market acted as the ingredients to a fantastical dream, one I never wanted to end. <laughs> Well, that was amazing for me to read that back. Um, I just hope I could convey the remarkable feat that Joe the Bridge achieved that day. This is this wasn't a village that you couldn't go to visit very easily, um, as what are many of the ethnic minority groups of Yunnan. Tourists go down there and they they do see um, the ethnic minorities. They they are there to be seen, but some of them. Um, who prefer not to go to the markets or they have no reason to go to the towns. As a community, they're very, very much behind, uh, not closed doors, I wouldn't say, but behind the scenes. Um, and they're so distinct from each other. They're such a, such a beautiful people as well. And although no one spoke um, 
English other than Joe the Bridge, and and we don't speak Aini or or Mandarin. Um, I can't remember for the life of me if they spoke Mandarin, you know. But um, they welcomed us with open arms, and the food was sensational, and we felt that right the way through China. And if you're listening to this and and you've never visited China or you've never seen any programs or anything, if you're imagining Chinese food to be like your takeaway, if you live in the Western world. It is so far removed from that. Uh, I find Indian food is quite authentic abroad if you find the right restaurant, um, which you probably have sought out in your neighbourhood. But Chinese food is so far removed from that. Now, um, yeah, we we ate some disgusting stuff. In um, I actually, oh, I ate scorpion, snake, squid. Um, I'm talking pretty much raw here. Um, also pig's penis, I accidentally, I've got to say, dog, obviously. Um, although here they're, they're phasing that out now in China. Um, but a lot of this wasn't intentional. Some of it was, oh, I've got to admit, but the black bee larvae, you know, you just can't really say, no, this is this is their culture. And they. what I didn't convey in this blog is what also happened in that village. And I don't know why I've, I've left it out, because it was really entertaining. Reb and I had an iPod with us. Now, these they've never, ever, ever listened to Western music. This is something they've, they've never come across. It's not something that they can pick up in their local village and they, they don't have a radio station uh, for BBC Radio 1 or anything like that. So we popped the iPod in and I think it was Dire Straits Red was having and listening to. Um, and I've got a picture um, on my Flickr account one of the local guys um, listening to an iPod, and he was bopping away. He absolutely loved it. Um, and it's memories like that. And obviously, they were letting us try the Baiju, which is like this really strong white spirit, which we went through an incredible amount of. But in return, I had in my bag, um, I was trying to carry um, a flask of whiskey, a hip flask. Um, so they passed that round, and each of them tried that. They've never, ever tried whiskey before. And their faces, obviously, just said exactly what they thought. And it was pretty strong for them. Whiskey's a lot stronger, harsher, in-your-face taste than this Baiju. Um, so, yeah, that was a really good exchange. Um, yeah, and such a special time. Yunnan is eternally going to be one of my favourite places um, I've ever, ever visited. Such a colourful, verdant, vibrant place, full of original culture. Um, everyone's pretty much friendly. Um, the bus journeys can be horrendously long, and yeah, I've got some. I'll probably cover it in another blog, and I'll bring it in a listen up podcast another day. Um, some incredible journeys about bus journeys in, um, in Sichuanbana and around the region. If you've ever heard of Dali Lijiang. Uh, Shangri-La is supposedly over in Yunnan as well. Um, and in the west of Yunnan, and I think Sichuan, which is just above, um, it's supposed to be more authentic there than actually in Tibet because the amount of uh, Tibetans that have been exiled, or not exiled, they've removed themselves from Tibet. So. If you ever get the chance to visit the Yunnan province of China, you will never regret it. There's a, it's... Um, you have to help yourself to get off the beaten track. 
So without further ado, I'm going to... Oh, there we go again. Without further ado. I'm always without further ado. I'm going to wrap this up. And just one more thing before I go. If you are a travel blogger or a travel podcaster, do check out my recent teabag travel blog directory, which features um, a growing list of travel blogs in and around the blogosphere. Oh, I said it. Um, so do check that out, and if you um, if you like what you see, chuck yourself on it because um, it's really becoming a great resource for people in and around um, the internet. So that's me. That was uh, Beef Abana in China, but back in Wellington, New Zealand. I hope you're travelling safely and living well, enjoying life, and uh, let me know what you think. Hasta luego, Kia ora. Thank you. This was Anne.